From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. Sprint Dabuido was the president of Nauru when Australia signed the deal to establish a detention centre there. Just before his death, he spoke to Martin Mackenzie Murray about his regrets and how that deal destroyed democracy in his country. Okay. Marty, when did you last speak to Sprint Dabuido? About three weeks ago. And we spoke by phone. But he was extremely ill when we spoke. Martin Mackenzie Murray is chief correspondent for the Saturday paper. He'd been hospitalised the day before for cancer treatment, uh, but he was back at home, albeit weakened by that treatment. And who is he? Sprint is the former president of Nauru. Uh, There's a position he held between 2011 and 2013 before he lost office and became an opposition MP. But crucially, he was the president that signed uh, offshore processing deal with the Australian government in 2012. You get him on the phone. Where do you find him? So he's living in Armidale, New South Wales, and he's as he tells me, fled the persecution of the Nauruan government and he's lodged an asylum application in Australia. What is it that he wants to talk to you about? He agrees to chat. What what does he want to tell you? It was a bit delicate. He's extremely sick. He's dying. He's mindful of his legacy. And he had come to regret the 2012 agreement with the Australian government. So he tells me that he saw that agreement at the time as a necessary economic boon. Nauru is almost always economically struggling. This was a boon at the time, 2012, didn't really have a choice. But I think there was a a fairly large lagoon inside him of sadness to see the subsequent consequences of the contract and the many millions of dollars that was uh, flooded through Nauru. So do you get the sense that he feels responsibility for establishing what is now playing out in Nauru? He's reticent about that, but he acknowledges his responsibility. He says the contract introduced corruption and greed. It had empowered uh, the Waka government, the current government, which he viewed as terribly corrupt and abusive in its power. And he said the, the country had become flush with money and it had turned family against family and brother against brother. So we spoke about the consequences of this, but he did sort of want to distance himself from this. And I don't know if he could square these things. I think he thought that it was the correct decision at the time, but he was also struggling with the effects of it, the corruption that it had emboldened, and he was... In his last weeks, he was trying to square that. So you had this conversation with Debuido a couple of weeks ago. What happens next? Uh, six days after we speak, Sprant dies. And so one of the last things he said to me was that he, he hoped that he would live long enough to see two things. One, the Waikar government end democratically. And the second thing was to get a result in his asylum application. Uh, But he told me I probably have just days or weeks to live, um, which in fact he did. So six days later, Sprint passed away, not seeing either of those two results. We'll be right back. 
Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. So, Marty, you've spoken to Sprint Debuido after arriving in Armadale seeking political asylum, as well as treatment in New South Wales for the cancer that he was eventually killed by. Is there a funeral service for him in Armadale? What happens next? There's a small funeral service in a cathedral in Armadale. It's very religious uh, ceremony. Uh, The casket is anointed with holy water. There's a number of eulogies. And at the very end of it, his partner Lucy sings. Prior to his death, Marty, what had been Sprint Debuido's last sort of substantial interaction with the Nauruan government? In March last year, in Nauru, he's diagnosed with cancer. Uh, Many people have told me that it was eminently treatable, but that treatment had to occur overseas. Now, his passport has been taken from him. He requires that passport to get that international treatment. It's not returned to him for six or seven months. And Sprint insisted, as did others, that this was deliberate and he was being punished. So what you're saying is that the Nauruan government is possibly responsible for Sprint Debuido's eventual death. So initially, Sprint kind of thought that perhaps this this incredibly crucial thing was subject to some incompetence. But it became very clear to him and others that, in fact, it was deliberate. They were deliberately withholding that passport. When he gets it back, he comes to Australia for treatment. But by this point, it's terminal. His partner, Lucy, is as certain as Sprint that the withholding of his passport was deliberate punishment for his political views. Sprint Debuido has been denied access to his own passport by the Nauruan government. He's been denied essential medical care that he can only access overseas. Why is a former president being treated this way? So Sprint Debuido was, I guess, one of the more prominent figures of the so-called Nauru 19. This is a group of men comprised largely of former government members. So after the Wakar government came to power in 2013, the Wakar government kicked out of parliament opposition MPs on the grounds that they had been speaking to international media. There was little to no basis for this in law. Uh, In 2015, there are protests organised by the Nauru 19, They are then arrested. They were first charged with offences linked to a demonstration outside Parliament back in June 2015. So the Nauruan government uh, alleged riotous behaviour and affray and assault and the Nauru 19 said this was uh, an entirely lawful and peaceable protest. 
So this goes through the courts for some time, and it's not until September last year that the retired Australian justice, Geoffrey Mwecky, writes a damning judgment, throwing it out and saying that the prosecution of the Nauru 19 was a affront to the rule of law. And so in their persecution of political opposition, there were a number of kind of uh, levers for that persecution. One was the abuse of visas and passports, so preventing those entering the country or preventing Nauruans from leaving. But another is that money and that most jobs are dependent in one way or another, directly or indirectly, with the processing camps. And so what emerged was a blacklist, an employment blacklist. This was a physical thing as well. It wasn't this kind of Nixonian secret. They had lists which they posted up on the camps. And it was a list of uh, political opposition MPs, their friends, family and supporters. And it said, thou shalt not give these people a job. I mean, so this is an imperiled democracy in Nauru. Entirely. And it's been said as much for some time now. But it's been occurring largely without consequence because the Australian government has been that dependent upon Nauru hosting offshore processing and essentially prosecuting Australian domestic policy overseas that the Nauruan government feel like they're excused from the censure or criticism of the Australian government. How does Nauru react to Sprint Dubuido's death? So Sprint Dubuido's body is repatriated. The plane arrives early in the morning. There's quite a crowd waiting for the return of their former president. There's representatives from various community groups that he was involved in. So there are weightlifters, footy players, scouts, of course, members of the Nauru 19. They take turns carrying the body to the tray of a ute. During this time, there were fears for unrest about Sprint's death and its circumstances and a belief that the government was responsible or at least partially responsible for his death. There was another rumour which sort of considered what the president would do. It's customary in Nauru for the president to attend every funeral. Every funeral? Yeah. Keep in mind, it's a country with a population of 11,000. So there was consideration about what President Waikar would do. Would it be inflammatory to not attend or would it be more inflammatory to be there? Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't attend the Nauruan funeral. And then the president who arguably set up the conditions in which Nauru now finds itself, he's dead and he says he regrets largely what he did or at least the part that he played in it. What is next for the country? The timing is is interesting. So there are elections shortly. It hasn't been made public what date that is. Those running um, have told me they, they suspect it to be August 10. Now, as Lucy told me, the great hope is, and the great hope of those who have been persecuted, um, maligned, denied treatment, denied their passports, is that the Wakar government is voted out. But Similarly, uniform amongst those kind of um, punished by the Wakar government is a pessimism. They don't believe that's going to be the case. Why? 
Uh, it's pretty easy to rig. Um, there have long been accusations of bribery. The Waka government, whilst the regional processing centres are kind of packing up, there's still a lot of wealth. Three years ago, they passed a law which said anyone running for parliament and who was a public servant needed to resign three months previous. Oh, to self-nominating, they have to... They have That's to... right, yeah. And we have similar laws here. But in Nauru, three months previous is considered much too onerous. Financially. Financially, correct. So to kind of render one unemployed to then run in a election that many consider rigged is too high a gamble. Laws have also been passed making it much easier for Nauruans to vote in different electorates. And it's been put to me that this makes kind of dramatic gerrymandering possible. And there's the there's this simple point that the Wakar government for many years now has been aggressively opaque. Marty, what responsibility does Australia have to Nauru, given our involvement to this point? What the Australian Regional Processing Centre has done is embolden an aggressively corrupt government. It has empowered it. And because of the kind of uh, client-state relationship we have here, Nauru benefited greatly, or especially its government did, from the Australian patronage. But Australia really needed the regional processing centres to continue. And what this has done is not just embolden the Wakar government with all of the money that it's granted, um, it's emboldened them in knowing that Australia will not say anything about its flagrant abuses of the law and its persecution of its own citizens. So the regional processing centres didn't create corruption in Nauru, but it did wildly distort a country. Marty, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Elizabeth. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Elsewhere in the news, New Minister for Emissions Angus Taylor has called on Labor to back the coalition's 26 to 28% emissions reduction target. Taylor, who had climate change added to his energy responsibilities in the new Morrison ministry, has said the election gave a mandate to the coalition's targets. Labor had campaigned on a more ambitious 45% reduction. And in Japan, a knife attack at a school has seen three people killed, including the suspect. More than a dozen people were injured in the stabbings at a primary school for girls south of Tokyo. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Kulas. See you Thursday. <laughs> 